Welcome to Now Playing's G.I. Joe Movie Retrospective Series. The mission is a go. I say again, the mission is a go. Hosted by Jerry. I'll, I'll make you proud. You'll see. Arnie. He's a real American hero. And Jacob. Hey, my three favorite people. This podcast will contain detailed plot spoilers and mild language. Ay, caramba. Listener discretion is advised. Let's get to work. World ain't saving itself. He never gives up. He'll stay till the fight's won. G.I. Joe will dare. G.I. Joe. Today we're discussing G.I. Joe, Retaliation, starring Bruce Willis, Dwayne The Rock Johnson, DJ Katrona, Adrian Pilecki, and Ray Park, directed by John M. Chu. I'm Arnie, co-host of Now Playing, and can you smell what the Arnie is cooking? I'm awake now. This is Jacob, a real American podcaster. Hey guys, this is Jerry and Arnie. Today, I'm not with you. I just, I'm not against you. We'll find out if you are with me or against (laughs) me in about 10 minutes. You were with me last week after being against me for an entire retrospective of the Transformers. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, I don't know what it's like to be on your side. That was weird. I feel dirty. Unclean, unclean! (laughs) And we are here discussing G.I. Joe Retaliation, the latest G.I. Joe film that we should have been talking about a year ago. We wouldn't have been talking about it a year ago. (laughs) We didn't have a time in our schedule to talk about it. Really, we didn't this year either, but Carrie moved to October. So we got G.I. Joe, which had moved around. And I have to say, when this film moved away from 2012, I was genuinely disappointed. I can't believe it, but this is our first time discussing The Rock. And I know he wants to be called Dwayne Johnson. Too bad. We're going to call him The Rock. Everyone calls him The Rock. (laughs) It's like Marky Mark. We're never calling you Mark Wahlberg. Deal with it. (laughs) Same with you, Dwayne. And despite his pretty deep film credits these days, this is our first time getting to him. I'm a reluctant fan. I've seen a lot of his stuff, even The Tooth Fairy. And... I was really excited thinking that after the mess of a last movie, which was dumb fun, but really a mess, that you bring in Bruce Willis, The Rock, it could really be fun. I was excited for G.I. Joe Retaliation. Yeah, I mean, one of the things about Dwayne Johnson is that even when he was a pro wrestler, he was really known for having far superior what they'd call mic skills. So probably the tail end of his wrestling, he did far more talking and showboating than he did anything memorable in the ring. So yeah, he's one of those perfect wrestler actors who can legitimately deliver lines, and he's always just an amazing presence on film, being legitimately a very large, muscular guy. Yeah, he's someone that I've been waiting for to really make an impact on the screen. By the time he was wrestling, I had kind of got out of it. I would see him every once in a while because my little brothers were still into wrestling. And I was always impressed by his presence. He could talk, like you said, Jerry. But the mummy, the scorpion king, eh. Tooth Fairy, eh. I don't know if I've said Journey to the Center of the Earth. I A lot of the films he's done, I've not been drawn to. I've watched a few of them, and just not the right vehicle maybe for him. I haven't really watched most of his action stuff, but he's someone that I feel like should have a good screen presence. I just don't know if he's ever had the right movie, but it makes sense for a G.I. Joe movie, you know, the big muscular guy. See, 
I am prone to be against pro wrestlers in film. I mean, the history is not very good. Hulk Hogan, Mr. T, even when they're fun, they usually can't act. Where The Rock won me over is he was hosting Saturday Night Live, and I'm like, oh god, the host is a wrestler. And I just was scowling, arms crossed, not going to enjoy it. But he was genuinely funny. And yeah, the Scorpion King, not very good, but I kind of liked him when he was taking on Stifler in the rundown and Be Cool. Even the movies that aren't very good with him in it, like Doom and Southland Tales, I enjoy his performance, and he's not afraid to make fun of himself. In Be Cool, he made fun of the eyebrow raise, and in Journey 2, he made fun of his little peck pop. So... I just find him to be fun. He has a good, playful sense of humor for such a big guy. And someday, Jacob, we will get to a Fast and Furious retrospective where you will smell what The Rock is cooking because he <laughs> elevated that franchise. I cannot wait for Fast and Furious 6, but no time this year for a retrospective. As good as The Rock, or as titillating as he may be with those <laughs> flexed pecs. That wasn't the real draw for me for this G.I. Joe retaliation. What got me kind of excited was the director, John M. Chu. Now, for those that really pay attention to now playing, every once in a while, I'll talk about Step Up. Because it is a franchise I am in love with. And John M. Chu is the one who really came in and changed that franchise. That first film, he didn't direct it. It was real melodramatic and had some dance and had this gang story. And he came along and he realized what he was directing. These goofy dance movies. He really started to mix the genres up. Brought in martial arts. Brought in these ideas of superheroes, you know, with powers manifesting as they dance. He had a real eye for capturing movement and he just brings a lot of fun and energy to the screen so i was interested to see him take over an action film especially one starring ninjas kung fu karate it's not that far from popping and locking so that's what i i got excited here and i gotta say the writers as well for this film not a bad couple of writers did Zombieland? i know that film didn't win when we had that poll for a one-off special but funny film, a lot of snappy one-liners in there. So there's elements here that gave me hope. As much as I didn't like that first live-action film or that cartoon. Agreed. These writers, Zombieland, came in dead last when we were trying to decide on a horror one-off last year. But I would have given it a strong recommend. Big fan of Zombieland. And they also were kind of raising my hopes for this G.I. Joe film, knowing if they could make a fun, funny Zombieland film, then you put The Rock in here, who's good at humor. I expected this to just be really lighthearted fun. And yeah, these guys were why I was so excited for G.I. Joe to return to the screen. Whereas after the last one, if it hadn't been them penning the script and these people on screen, I probably wouldn't have seen a sequel to last week's movie. I was one of the people who voted for Zombieland. I really wanted to hear you guys talk about that one. Really enjoyed that movie. But I don't know if I enjoyed it in a way that I want, hey, the people who made that movie, I want them to write a G.I. Joe movie. So I was a little nervous about what that meant in the translation. I don't know anything about the director. I'm not a step-up guy. I've not seen any of the movies. I guess I just need to step up and maybe check them out based on your praises here, Jacob. Well, if you're worried about the writers what does it say when this thing gets delayed a year that's never a good sign right yeah what they said was that it was because 3d movies made so much money and they wanted to convert it to 3d i personally think that's a terrible choice i hate post-conversion 3d what i read though was there was a real reason for this and there's a spoiler alert at the top of this podcast 
in the original draft, Channing Tatum was killed off early, cutting pretty much all ties with the first G.I. Joe film. And Channing Tatum had become a huge star. He was in Magic Mike, 21 Jump Street. He'd really become a name. So the rumor I'd really heard was that they were going back to reshoot major parts of this film to take this star and make him central to the film and that the 3D was just a excuse. I had heard that rumor, too, and I had thought that, but we'll we'll discuss it. I don't think that's what pans out. If they did any reshooting, it was for buddy building moments that I'm not sure we needed. But yeah, Jacob, we'll get into it. Usually when a film's delayed, it's because it tested bad. They're redoing scenes, trying to save what they can. I don't know if there was a whole lot reshot here. It may have been just 3D. I can't imagine it taking so long. But I guess with the way release schedules are, it might have only taken a few months to post-convert it, but then you got to wait for the right time to release it to try to get that number one spot in the box office. Or, realistically, they could have had no confidence in this film. I mean, you look at when it was going to come out, June of last year. Last year was a huge summer. We covered most of the big movies. I mean, you had Avengers breaking box office records. You had another Batman film coming out. That thing was going to just do gangbusters after The Dark Knight. So much was happening last summer, and this was going to be right in the middle of it. This was going to be a week before July 4th. I think that they might have thought this movie was not going to succeed with that competition. So they come here. There's no competition here. Oz has been out a couple of weeks. Yeah, the Twilight author had a new movie. Not quite the same audience there. And so they moved it to the vast wasteland that is early spring. Yeah, but you always get the surprises in March. There's always that March surprise. So it's not the same doom and gloom spot of a January-February release. This March release does not come with the same expectations and dread that A Good Day to Die Hard came with because it was a February Valentine's Day release. I agree. March is better, but it's still a time with very little competition. Well, Arnie, let's not delay our plot summary anymore. Tell us what we saw. When last we left Cobra, they had successfully replaced the President of the United States with a Master of Disguise, Zartan. But Cobra Commander and Destro were captured by Joe Forces. But that doesn't stop Cobra's plotting. Cobra Agent Storm Shadow, not dead after the fight with Snake Eyes, is also captured and taken to the prison where he and Cobra Explosive Maniac Firefly break out their leader. Storm Shadow is burned in the escape, so Cobra Commander sends him back to the mountains to heal, while Cobra Commander resumes his plan to take over the world. Step one was already accomplished. Elimination of the G.I. Joes. The fake president framed the Joes for trying to cause an insurrection in Pakistan and ordered strikes killing most all the Joes, including Joe leader Duke. But three Joes, Roadblock, Lady J, and Flint, escaped termination and returned to the States to find out why the president ordered them killed. They go and find the first Joe to help them, retired General Joe Colton. Meanwhile, Snake Eyes partners with new ninja Jinx to capture Storm Shadow to bring him to justice for killing their hard master when he was a teen. The two do capture Storm Shadow, who reveals he didn't kill the Hard Master, and they figure out it was Zartan, in disguise as a Ninja Master. He killed the Hard Master to see Storm Shadow exiled, so he would become Zartan's muscle. Angry at the betrayal, Storm Shadow agrees to partner with the Joes short term to avenge the Hard Master and kill Zartan. But time is growing short. The fake president calls for nuclear disarmament and brings the eight countries with nuclear powers together to discuss it. When they won't all immediately agree, the president launches his nukes at the world. 
The other world leaders retaliate. Then to save humanity, they destroy all their nukes in midair. Every nuclear weapon in the world is destroyed. But that leaves Cobra and Ace up his sleeve. Project Zeus. A series of eight satellites in orbit are poised to drop projectiles, which destroy major cities with no radioactive fallout. To prove he's serious, Cobra Commander destroys London, declares himself ruler of Earth, and if any power refuses to comply, he'll use Project Zeus to destroy their city. The Joes attack, free the real president, and Storm Shadow kills Zartan, revealing that Zartan was, in fact, impersonating the president, and defeated... Cobra Commander flees and launches all the Zeus weapons, but Roadblock kills Firefly and aborts the launch of Zeus, saving the Earth and destroying the Zeus satellites. And with this, Roadblock is promoted to leader of the Joes, and he vows to hunt down Cobra and kill him with General Patton's gun as credits roll. We're going to get into it. We'll talk more about Zeus and General Patton and all of these Joes, but... I have to say I had a guilty, guilty desire coming into this movie. I knew, based on the rumors, that all the old Joes were going to be killed off, and we were starting with a new set of Joes. It was a pseudo-reboot. The harshest kind of reboot. You get rid of the entire creative team, you get rid of most of the characters, you keep only what you have to keep and start again. I was really hoping to see Marlon Wayans back and all of them back just for one scene so I could watch them die. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to agree, Arnie. I'm shocked how much this film tries to divorce itself from the previous one. It's just not going to mention things that happened before. What we saw in that last film, apparently those were nanomite wars. Like They're just (laughs) going to change and ignore whatever they want. And you know what? Not a bad idea. I, I'm willing to go with it because there's so much about that film I did not enjoy. For me, it was kind of the opposite. I was surprised they referenced as much as they did, especially in that little opening where they talked about Nanomite Wars and Duke was the new leader and they mentioned Destro. I'm surprised we saw Destro. I mean, even in the glass too, I'm surprised he was still an entity. So I'm kind of surprised we got as much as we did, but at the same time... One of the things that I thought was a little odd about the pseudo-reboot is it's kind of as if Cobra's been around all along, and that Cobra Commander has this weird following of loyalty. Yeah, it is strange the way that they retcon the last movie, but yet they hold to it. They aren't completely ignoring it because they're starting with them in captivity, they're starting with Zartan still as the president. What surprised me is that this is very much a sequel to the first one. Everything that was left as it was before is still the status quo here, except all the characters are gone, and they're not even mentioned. I mean, in the last one, Baroness and Duke, they were going to be an item, and at one point they'd been engaged, and Marlon Wayans was going to be their best man, and now they're gone, and... (laughs) Duke has a new minority best friend, The Rock. (laughs) Yeah, what's crazy is when we get to Pakistan, supposedly, my understanding was, those were all the Joes. All the Joes went into Pakistan. So every Joe was killed except the three that make it out alive, which means Ripcord, Scarlet were presumably there. Maybe they had left the Joes by this point. Who knows? But if they'd left the Joes, you'd think that they'd call them when they needed help when they got back to the States. Yes, they would have teamed up with Joe Colton, yeah. They did sort of reference there were other strikes on Joes, but it just felt like conspicuous by absence, all of these characters from the first one. When Zartan, as the president, was talking, he 
comment specifically, all other facilities and personnel have been attacked as well. So we, for some reason, shouldn't assume that the attack we saw on screen was the only one that occurred. So this is like Revenge of the Sith. There was an Order 66, you know, like to wipe out all the Jedi. We just didn't get the montage here. Yeah, if the last movie was <laughs> The Phantom Menace, this one is quite clearly the Revenge of the Sith. I could not help but think about it, how you had the Chancellor, who was an evil man pretending to be good, pretending for national security's sake that this force is hurting them and ordering a military strike to take them out. Yeah, they just watched Revenge of the Sith and said, yeah, let's make that. No, 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 no. They watched the A-Team. Come on, a group of military guys that are framed for a crime. They're on the run on the lam, but they're still fighting for justice. This is the A-Team. Well, keep in mind that there have been other G.I. Joe stories to go this route. You know, when IDW started up the new comics, there's a little bit of this that Cobra's the new security force hired by the government. The Joes are on the run. The whole G.I. Joe Renegade series that was on The Hub a year or two ago, it's all about the Joes being on the run. So there's this weird theme of always wanting to put the Joes in the A-Team van that, eh, as kind of a longtime fan, I wasn't huge on. But they never really explain what's going on where they take out the Joes. I mean, you see the president on television going, the Joes were eliminated with extreme prejudice. Something no president would ever say. <laughs> I mean, we <laughs> killed bin Laden and we didn't have Obama. We took out bin Laden with extreme prejudice. I mean, it's just not very presidential. But he's the quicker blower upper, baby. <laughs> They send the Joes to Pakistan because nuclear weapons have been stolen. The Joes recover the weapons, and somehow they make it seem like the Joes are causing a revolution, even though the cabinet fully heard the president say, make them do this. You know, but what they said was it was the Joes, it was Snake Eyes who went and assassinated the president to cause this unrest. So the president would then send them in to get the nukes. It was a big plan where you had to be able to read people's minds and predict what was going to go on. I mean, we see this in movie all the time where the plots are so unlikely. But yeah, Snake Eyes killed the president. So there would be revolution and the Joes knew the president would send them in to get these nukes and they were going to steal them and use them for nefarious Joe reasons. Okay, you don't see anything wrong with that? I don't see anything more ridiculous than what I saw last week. Uh, no? Maybe not. Maybe not yet. And it wasn't even Snake Eyes. Snake Eyes is missing during this opening. They specifically say Snake Eyes is gone, and if he's gone, he must have a good reason. We never know what that reason is, right? Because it's not Snake Eyes who kills the Pakistani president, it's Storm Shadow in disguise. I think that was a poor attempt to kind of string us along, because you're right, there's no rhyme or reason of where Snake Eyes is at. Roadblock knows he's gone. If he's not here, he's got a good reason, but that never comes back up. We find that he's apparently tracking himself, because <laughs> he knows he didn't do it, but we don't know what he was doing during the events. I have a theory. I have a theory that this movie was two and a half hours long. I have a theory that every question I'm going to ask is explained either in script form or filmed but sitting on a cutting room floor somewhere, and I believe the Blu-ray will probably stretch quite a bit longer than this theatrical film, because there is a lot of stuff in this movie that is asked but not answered that I think would have been answered. I think we would have seen Snake Eyes and known what is going on here. John Chu has already come out and said that, yeah, there's going to be a lot of extras on the Blu-ray. He's already said that in an interview I saw online. So you're absolutely right. It's coming. 
Yeah, this film feels like it was chopped up to get under a two-hour playing time. There are scenes that are missing. To me, it was so obvious while watching this film. Me too. And I don't think it was necessarily running time. I think it was reactionary. You see this all the time, is where people read test score audiences on a first film. We kind of saw this with Ghost Rider. The first film was too talky. The first didn't have enough action. It's like... The directors and writers had a film, and maybe the producers and the studio got it, and they're like, is there five minutes where somebody isn't punching, sword fighting, or shooting? Cut it. Because I think that we would have known what's going on with Snake Eyes. The dialogue just asks questions that are never answered, and we never find out. And if you stayed for the end credits, Marvel has trained me like a Pavlovian dog to not leave before the lights are fully up. There are scenes shown during the credits that were never in the movie. No, here's the thing. This script, and it's probably part due to things just being cut and maybe just not the tightest writing. You get this opening scene in North Korea where they free some guy. I don't know. Was that a Joe? I don't know who that guy is. He never comes back. They just freed someone. It's just an introductory scene. They go to Pakistan. They steal these nukes. Obviously, these nukes are going to be used later on. Like, they're going to be part of the Zeus project. Nope, that was just a way to frame them. Like, there isn't the sophistication in the writing here, or maybe it's because there are cut scenes where that character saved in North Korea would have played some part in the plot. Those nukes would have come back later on. Things happen to move the plot along, but then they get dropped. Nothing is tied together in this film. That said, during these opening scenes, I'm still kind of enjoying it. The Rock is introduced. He's our major character here. He's shown as Duke's new best friend. He has two kids. I never really thought about the G.I. Joe people having kids in a house. I just, from the cartoon and everything, (laughs) thought they lived on the base and were celibate or something. I mean, never gave it some thought. And here we have The Rock. I don't know what happened to their kid's mom. She's in a cutscene. Yeah, who was watching The Rock's kids while he's on the run for the rest of the movie? Never explained. (laughs) But does it need to? I mean, I think that's getting a little nitpicky. Like, who is The Rock's kid's babysitter? (laughs) Like, come on. (laughs) It was a major blood or something, but... Hulk Hogan came, Mr. Nanny. Go watch that film. Hold on now. There's a huge scene in the movie. The big bonding thing between Duke and Roadblock is them having a shooting contest about babysitting those kids. It's Chekhov's babysitter, man. Yeah, and you know what? I think we're kind of witnessing some scenes. You know, if they added any scenes with Channing Tatum, it obviously wasn't to, like, not kill him, but it was, I think, maybe to establish a better friendship because suddenly Roadblock is, hey, I got to do this for Duke, and the scene where he's at his house playing Call of Duty or whatever they're playing, it's just to humanize him and make him buddies, whatever. It's not a big plot point. Which I like. That last film, there's something cold about it. It was so utilitarian. Let's get in as many new designs for vehicles so we could sell them as toys. And I kind of like this more human feeling. You know, I like some of the one-liners. I enjoy that Duke sucks at military video games. Yes, (laughs) they seem like obvious jokes, but I'm enjoying this. This does seem more lighthearted, and I'm going with it at this point. And I like that The Rock is asked to say a prayer before going into battle, and he does Jay-Z. It's a nice moment. I'm sure this was in the script, but this is also an energy that I saw Chu bring to the Step Up films. Like, this is a Hasbro movie. It's based on toys. It's based on a kid's cartoon. Yeah, we're going to go off to battle and we're going to drop Jay-Z lines. There's something fun about that. Like, we talk about Christopher Nolan and the Batman and the Dark Knight, and he took, you know, this goofy character that we all thought about as Adam West and Batman 66 and did this as real as possible version of Batman. Well, you do that with G.I. Joe, you get zero Dark 30. So... (laughs) 
I don't <laughs> mind this being like more cartoony. I like the fun that we're having here at the beginning. Jacob, for me, I think you're actually pointing out something that I thought about throughout the entire movie as a whole. Yeah, there's a little fun up front, but I think this movie is grossly missing fun. I saw a movie last weekend that we're obviously not here to talk about, but Olympus has fallen to where if you're going to be a intense action thriller, be an intense action thriller. If you're going to be a fun G.I. Joe movie, like I thought last week's was, then be that. Find what you're going to be and be that. And I don't think it pulled off being an intense action thriller, but I think it wanted to be. And thus, a guy like me doesn't get the fun G.I. Joe movie that I showed up for. Well, we'll talk about it as we go through. I think we're all agreed here in the beginning scenes, though. This is fun. We are liking Roadblock and Duke and their camaraderie there. And we're introduced to two more people. I don't know anything about them, having watched the entire film that I know in these opening scenes, Lady J and Flint. Did we even see them in the animated film, or they weren't in the last movie? We saw everyone in the animated <laughs> film. As characters in the animated film? No, not really, but they were really big characters in the first season of the animated series. Flint was actually the primary on-screen leader in the first season of the G.I. Joe cartoon. Duke was in those first two miniseries and was in the show a lot, but I mean, you saw Flint probably more often than you saw Duke when the show started proper, and then Duke kind of came back a little bit in General Hawk, blah, blah, blah. I won't get into that. He's a big name. If you're going to call somebody a character, you go, hey, I got to name a Joe for this movie. Flint's the next name off the, the list that you pull off. He's obviously not a gung-ho or a mud or junkyard or whatever, but if you need a name for someone who you're going to make prominent in the film, Flint is a really big name to give to a character. The problem is he's not a big character in the movie. He's Flint in name only. Kind of a waste in this movie, but I guess you need another gun in the movie to watch your back. And apparently he's a free runner, which I don't know where they pulled that out for Flint. Uh, John Chu being the director that, that's what I got at the beginning seeing him back is like <laughs> I'm like oh is parkour one of his specialties is he the parkour specialist but I'm like this is John Chu like he wants something like this in his film he needs this movement yeah that's why we got it in the prologue where they show Flint on the screen for a second when they're talking about the nanomite war they list one of his skills as a free runner oh, so it was on his file card I missed that yeah <laughs> They make a big deal, like how he kind of sneak around, he sneaks into the North Koreans tower at the beginning and puts up the Joe flag, like, yeah, I thought he was going to be this guy that would be doing the John McClane role and sneaking through the vents here. But yeah, Lady J was his lady friend, and we you know, later learned they're an item, they're a couple, and I think some other Sunbow, even the Transformers type productions would lead us to believe that they, you know, ended up being married. There's one character you left out, Arnie, who I th thought was... Sh sure was going to make it alive and be with this group because he plays such a big part at the beginning. And I'm not talking about Duke. I'm talking about Mouse. Who is Mouse? I've never heard of this character. Is this a real Joe? Is Mouse the one who was afraid to parachute and so he had to chew a bullet? Yes. Mouse was the sniper. Yeah. I forgot about Mouse. You're right. You know, the only thing I know about Mouse, there is a character from Wannabe Line that lasted like a year and a half called G.I. Joe, Sergeant Savage and his Screaming Eagles, and one of Sergeant Savage's people was a character named Mouse. Beyond that, I don't know anything about him or why you'd pull that name for this guy. You get so much of Mouse at the beginning. He's got this, like, remote control bullet, and he's sniping North Koreans at that intro. Like, I think we were supposed to have some of those buddy moments with Roadblock, and when he dies, we were supposed to get that tearful moment. I I almost feel like they replaced Duke with that because they wanted more Channing Tatum maybe here at the beginning. Like, it's weird. They play so much of him and then he, I guess, died in the strike. Never hear about him. No one sheds a tear over Mouse. <laughs> That's true. I forgot. And that remote control bullet was kind of cool. I liked the tech in these early scenes that the Joes have. The way Roadblock 
cuts through a fence using these palm coils, burner things. I don't know. And all I could think of, though, was, I bet they make a toy of that. I bet they make a toy of that. Those palm things, I mean, Hasbro <laughs> loves to make role-play toys. They make arc reactors for Iron Man you can slap on your chest. I bet they make these little palm warmer things. I like the tech, too. I didn't like all the sci-fi in that last film. Here, you get those moments. Yes, you get a remote control bullet. You get these heater gloves that can melt a chain-link fence. It seems very pared down, and, and throughout the film, we'll see that. It's Maybe a little futuristic, but we're never getting lasers or pulse rays or mechanical suits here. I like that it's toned down in this film. Something I didn't like before, and like a lot of things I didn't like before, they just wrote it off. After those nanomite wars, I guess all that future tech got destroyed, so we're just back to regular guns now. I did like they used bullets, yes. Clearly, anything that Mars Industries brought to the table that Baroness was using, what happened to that, who cares? We're talking about a different group of bad guys. Cobra's not Mars. You know, and I think Firefly, too, had a lot of uh, really cool toys. I mean, the little Firefly bugs, which I'm kind of lukewarm on personally, but at least it was that kind of like high-level technology, the, his motorcycle that turned into like six bombs that went into it and he kind of parachuted to safety. Yeah, I think there was a lot of, a lot of cool stuff like that. Does he have mechanical fireflies in the other G.I. Joe media? Not that I recall. I mean, if that's ever been in a random comic, maybe. But to me, that's not like a synonymous thing with Firefly. Yeah, I th his deal, he was like a ninja and a master of what? Sabotage, I believe. In the Marvel comics, he apparently does have a ninja background. But like in most other things, particularly the cartoon, he's just a saboteur. You send him in to blow stuff up. But it's Ray Stevenson. I mean, I know most people probably know him from Rome, but I know him from The Punisher. Yes, that, that's my go-to point, too. And he had a bit part as Volstagg and Thor. Yeah, he's fun in here. I like that he gets to use his British accent. And you take lock, stock, and two smoking barrels and snatch. I believe Brits can be hard asses. He's one of the joys of this film. He has a lot of fun. He has these mechanical fireflies that fly around and blow up. Sci-fi, yeah, but it's not crazy stuff. This isn't little nanomites. I was afraid. I remember seeing those on one of the trailers. I'm like, oh, they're bringing the nanomites back. But no, they fly around and they blow up. They kind of literalize his code name. But <laughs> yeah, a great performance with Stevenson here with his Firefly character. Always a joy to see him when he shows up. Yeah, I would say he is to the side of Cobra what The Rock is to the side of Joe. And so it's good that those two eventually face off. They are my favorite characters on each side. The other actor who seems to just be having a lot of fun and chewing up the scenery is Jonathan Price. Yes. Now, he plays the president, and really he plays Zartan in this, because we get Arnold Vuslew back. He and Channing Tatum and... Then the two ninjas are the only ones back from the last one. But I think they only needed Vuslu on set for, what, five minutes? For a couple of quick scenes of his face when they could have just even scanned him in and he never even showed up. But playing a evil president, I think this guy does such a great job as dual roles. He plays the evil president and the real president completely differently and he's so much fun as an evil old dude. Yeah, he hams it up. And I love it. Like, I love when Jonathan Price is playing the president via Zartan. Like, <laughs> he has a dickish vibe about him whenever he does that. He's always smirking. But when you see Price as the regular president locked up in this underground bunker, like, plays it totally different. Really great acting here. 
what Jonathan Price does here with these two characters and how he portrays Zartan being the president, especially when he doesn't have to play act. When he's in front of the regular president, it's just a lot of fun watching him. And in the scene that he has with Lady Jader, he's just like, oh, no, 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 I'm going to have you tonight. You're going to be my girl. <laughs> you can just see the moment he notices her, bright red dress in the middle of all these army greens or whatever. He's just like, yeah, I'm going to wrap up my speech and uh, go find her. Yeah, he is just a lot of fun here. I just wouldn't have expected it. This is the same actor who played the president in the last movie and he played it so straight and here the way he hams it up is so much fun they even bring back zartan's little whistle tell too one time he's walking out to like a chopper and he gives that little whistle so just so a callback for those people who like me liked the last movie yeah it's definitely a good reminder to if having the same actor I thought that was a fun little token from the last movie, and I'm glad they at least used it one time to remind us this is the same story. Don't go too far from this soft reboot, which, by the way, I don't think there's anything reboot about this movie. I think it's a little retconny, but I don't think there's anything about this that's a reboot. It picks up from the ex exactly where we left off with the exact same plot, and Jonathan Price is actually the main thing that connects this. Although, I gotta ask... What is the plan here? I mean, when the first movie ended, Cobra Commander was captured, Destro was captured, Zartan was president. I kind of figured Zartan would be like, well, sucks for those guys, but hey, I'm leader of the free world, and he'd go with it. But <laughs> instead, he's very much a follower who's wanting to get Cobra Commander back. I think that a lot of this plot, having Storm Shadow, who was later shown to be a long-term Zartan henchman, go and kill the Pakistani president and then be captured and taken to this German facility, is all Zartan's plan to bring back his leader. And he was the one who last time was like, I don't want that mind control. He was the one who stood up to the doctor the first time around. So to make him such a loyal follower... Again, I would have just liked an explanation for that character. I think this is where the movie is going to pretend to be a soft reboot, but what it's really doing is retconning. What I assumed at the end of Rise of Cobra is that we witnessed Cobra Commander establish Cobra right in front of Destro. Like, he is looking at him and saying, hey, by the way, I'm taking over everything. I'm Cobra Commander. You call me Commander. This is now Cobra. And I think what this movie's trying to get you to think, and maybe I just made a bad assumption, is that, no, 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 Cobra always existed, and Cobra Commander was just infiltrating Mars, and Destro just didn't know what a Cobra was. But there was a Cobra going on in the background and Rex had been leading it for some amount of time because Firefly's like, oh, hey, good to see you again. It's good that we finally have our commander back. I would take it far more simply. They're just assuming nobody remembers Mars. It was Cobra. It was always Cobra. This is the commander. He was always the commander. But you can't do that with Destro in a tube right next to him. They do it. I'm pretty shocked what they do with Destro in the tube here. I couldn't believe it. I really thought for sure that Destro was going to be a big part of this movie because of the last one they gave him the mask. I knew that that actor, thank you all the listeners, that Doctor Who actor wasn't <laughs> back this time. But I thought for sure that you'd have Destro there because to me, he is such a major part of what Cobra is. Cobra Commander offs him. I was shocked. Cobra Commander, especially with that cartoon rewatch, but I always remember him being real whiny, had that high-pitched voice. This Cobra Commander that we get in this film is a badass. This guy rules with an iron fist. Storm Shadow infiltrates this underground base. Who is this warden? Who's this actor? He looks very familiar. He looks like someone I've seen. I couldn't quite place him, though. We saw him many times. He was in The Next Karate Kid. He was in House of a Thousand Corpses. He was in Predators. 
we were still giving out golden headphones, you'd be getting some <laughs> platinum ones. This guy, he's just done a ton of stuff. I think he's probably best known for being on The Shield, if you watch that show. But he's just one of those actors who's always around. Born films, Lincoln, this guy's done it all. He was in Django Unchained, too, which I know we all saw. Yes. This whole, like, underground German cell, it's very goofy, but this actor, this warden, again, he just hams it up. I feel like I'm almost watching the John Travolta, Nicolas Cage spectacular face-off, where they go to this underground oil rig prison. Not a great film, but there's something so goofy about that, and no one here is trying to take it serious. Like, this warden just hams it up, like, welcome to hell, and we're so far below ground, international law no longer applies. The fantasy football team was my uh, favorite line. I you're right. He and Jonathan Price are the two people who know they're in a G.I. Joe movie. This guy is loving the fact that he's in this scene. Yeah, he is playing it perfectly. He is so much fun. And I'm so glad they don't kill him immediately because it feels like one of those roles where he's literally going to die the first scene. But I imagine that this is not a Joe character. This is something made up for the movie. And so he had to die. There's no Joe Warden in the comics. <laughs> Yeah, this is a Joe character. I mean, if they pull this name somewhere from the Joe comics, I'm not recognizing it. But all of this about the prison, if you wanted us to forget about Destro, and I think one of the reasons he's not in here is that, A, they didn't want to spend the CGI budget on that dude's face. Or, hey, people thought Destro was so stupid from the first movie and we created his face into a metal mask, literally. We really can't have him in here. But they made it a point to say, hey, we're killing Destro and perhaps telling us that we're killing the stupidity of the first movie, which I don't personally agree with, but I get that that's the general reaction. So maybe they wanted to make a statement that, hey, this is a new movie and Destro's not come along for the ride. I thought the line of Destro, you're no longer in the band, was really dumb. <laughs> and to me, wasn't something that Cobra Commander would say. I laughed. <laughs> oh, to me, it was something very much Cobra Commander yeah. would say. But to go to Cobra Commander, Jacob, you say this is a good Cobra Commander. Well, no, this isn't a good Cobra Commander. This is a bad Darth Vader, right? I mean, he has the burned face and he has to have a mask to breathe. And he kills his henchmen who do wrong. And he's got this really overmodulated deep voice. He's trying to be Darth Vader. And I really hated this voice. I much would have preferred the Starscream Cobra to this voice they give. I think it needed to be somewhere in between. You couldn't do the Chris Lotta voice here in a movie. It, it's too cartoony. But Arnie, I'm more with you. Cobra Commander's aesthetics were perfect. Dead on. Loved it. Kind of how serious of a threat he is to the world. Perfect. That's the kind of thing we want to see Cobra Commander evolve into. But then you're right. He's all dressed in black. He's Darth Vader. His voice. I, I said last time, this is similar to the voice that when Rex put the fishbowl in his face, this is the voice he suddenly had. I'm like, wait a minute. That's way too deep. It needed to be somewhere in between. I'm not going to say they're ripping off Star Wars in this film, you could have made that complaint the last film. That's where he gets burned up and puts on a fishbowl and all that. I mean, they're just improving the costume here. I don't think Destro necessarily is dead. I mean, the dude's got a metal head. His, perhaps his metal head survived and they transplanted onto another body. It's one of those things that I think is open-ended because after all, why the hell is Storm Shadow alive? The dude got a sword through the chest in the last film. They don't even try to explain that. Guy's just alive now. Yeah, and <laughs> I agree with you. Destro, we don't see a body. And isn't that the rule of films if you don't see a body? It is. Especially franchise films. True. Maybe he's the setup for part three. I don't know. I do love little details, though, during this whole 
sabotage. Jerry, you talked about the tech that Firefly has. I remember seeing that commercial with that motorcycle that splits up and turns into missiles and like blows up this prison. Oh, that is awesome. I'm a 15-year-old boy again. Seeing this motorcycle turn into missiles is awesome. But to make sure I understand what's going on, this is a coordinated strike, right? Firefly coming in from the outside, Storm Shadow the inside guy, and they meet in the middle. Storm Shadow was intended to be captured because his ninja ways can outdo the paralysis and he can stop his own heart. Yeah, that's a common ninja thing. Stopping sure. your own heartbeat. Yeah. Yeah, I totally bought that because of my expertise in what ninjas do. Uh, Based on G.I. Joe? <laughs> yeah, no, I totally bought that. Yeah. I love it when Storm Shadow, he goes to get his swords. He snuck in his snake eyes so the handles are black. And like he just pulls off like these black covers so they're white again. Like there's little details like that that just shows me, okay, we get what we're doing here. We're going to cheese it up a bit. We're going to have fun with this. Storm Shadow can't even use a black handle. It's got to be white. And when you capture Snake Eyes, you don't fingerprint him. You don't t even take off his mask to see. I mean, I'm sure that in an international paramilitary organization, Snake Eyes bio does not have him wearing a mask. So you don't even take off the mask to make sure you have the right guy. He still has the sword strapped to his back when they bring him in. Yeah, this, I mean, this is silly. I'm like, are they just going to throw him in the water tank in his full Snake Eyes outfit? Yes, I get it, Arnie. This is silly. This is, we're doing a cartoon. And I'm not willing to give this movie a bone every time because it reflects cartoon logic. There are times where I'm going with it, but there are moments like this where I'm like, okay, we could have thought this out a bit better. And they leave the swords in the room, just like in the stairs, you know, the graded stairs. They just leave them there after they've already put, they administered him and the sword, I just leave them, they're fine. But I do like the breakout. I like the killing of Destro. I am so with the movie at this point and the new start, even if I didn't get to see Ripcord killed and Scarlet killed and Heavy Duty killed and... Breaker killed. I, I wanted my massacre, but I'm going with what they give me to this point. We got Duke killed. Be happy with that. <laughs> and I keep expecting Duke to come back with my meta-knowledge. I'm expecting a subplot of Duke trying to escape Pakistan. Instead, what we get are Roadblock, Flint, and Lady J just walking endlessly through the Pakistani desert. No water, no cares. Lords of Arabia, this ain't. And nor am I expecting that, Arnie. <laughs> At one point, they see some airplanes are like, that's our ticket home. I'm like, okay, so then there's some cut scene where they knock some people out and sneak on a plane and get back to America. Okay, whatever. There had to be, right? Because in, <laughs> in this movie we see, they are looking at an airport. They're going, we're going home. Next scene, they're in like downtown Detroit. We don't get this. Did they run out of money? Did they just go, ah? Who cares? Bane was able to fly around internationally when he was the world's most wanted terrorist, and that movie made a billion dollars. I, I figure they're like, <laughs> good enough for a billion dollar Batman movie, good enough for us. They're in Washington, D.C. in that scene, but you're right. I had to write that. It's like, what is that airstrip? How did they get on a plane? Did they find a plane? Did they take over a plane? They hijack? Who cares? I get that. I care. This was the moment I started to care. I'm not saying it's not bad, and it's a flaw the movie should be called out for, but I'm not going to try to figure out how they went from point A to point B. It's clear that the movie doesn't care enough to tell me, so I'm going to quit thinking about that part. But this airport scene seems to be the beginning. It's like the first act of this film. I'm not quite loving it, but I'm enjoying some of the performances. But I expect, okay, it's all set up. Cobra Commander's out. The Joes are killed. Now the movie's going to kick into gear. But instead, the movie goes off in a strange direction. They have Storm Shadow burned during the escape. 
And so he's going up to this mountain to be healed, because only in the mountains do mystic old ladies have laser burn treatments. And by the way, you guys are going to love this from the first movie. That's in the Himalayas. Where they're setting up Cobra la 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 la! Yeah, he has Cobra <laughs> Law technology to heal his back, which is probably how they were able to bring him back to life in the first place. Just saying. And meanwhile, we finally see that Snake Eyes, who was at that German prison, has now gone to the mountains himself for Jinx, and he's training under... I honestly thought this was a joke. When you see Riza as a blind ninja master with a beard that literally looks like a kid's Halloween costume where he took cotton balls and glued it to his face like a Santa beard, <laughs> I'm really thinking I'm getting it punked again. I'm, no. They cannot be serious. This is what tells me... John Chu gets this, the writers get this, whoever casted RZA for Blind Master's role. I mean, didn't you see the man with the iron fist? That started Riza as this kung fu master. Like, this is just throwing back to old 70s Chinese kung fu films where, like, they all had the glue they used to paste on the facial hair and they have their giant Fu Man shoes. If you're going to have Jinx who's got to blindfold herself to fight Snake Eyes, this is the tone I want. I expect Riza to show up as Blind Master. I was cheering at this point. This is the right tone for this kind of setup, at least for me. You're going to go with cartoon logic. Yes, you bring in a guy from the Wu-Tang Clan to be a kung fu master. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, what I thought was kind of weird, and, and there's some prequel comics that kind of talk this a little bit. I mean, if you remember Roadblock saying that, hey, I trained with Snake Eyes for six years, there's some prequel comics that kind of cover what that kind of meant. But it's kind of weird because they're like the Arashikage, when we meet Jinx and Blindmaster, they're like on top of a skyscraper in Tokyo. They're not in the hills. They're sent in a mission to go help our fellow Joes or something, how he phrases it. It's like the Arashikage clan is now a subsidiary of G.I. Joe, which is very odd, and that we've got to bring Storm Shadow to justice because of what he did to the Hard Master, and it's so out of place. It really is, and it takes me back to what you guys were saying, Jacob, you especially, last week about all these flashbacks, and even though I appreciated and enjoyed why they did it, or the fact that it was in the movie last week, I see now, it's like, okay, if you're going to go here, if you're going to have the opportunity to tell these stories, I wonder if some of this Snake Eyes, Jinx, Storm Shadow stuff couldn't have been pulled out and made its own story to where you could have explored Jinx more. It's like, why is she here? It's like she's here because Jinx is supposed to be here. I was very disappointed. I mean, you guys remember the first podcast. I said, hey, we'll be talking a lot about Jinx in two weeks. No, no, we're really, we're really not. They drop a line that she's Storm Shadow's cousin, and I guess that's supposed to play up suspicions and cause tension. I don't know. They also drop a line. They're not just trying to get Storm Shadow because he killed it. It's Hard Master. That's what their master was called. Hard Master? The Hard Master, yes. Okay, I'll go with it. He did not need the yak loin for the Golden Child pants. <laughs> At this point, they know also Cobra's gotten free, so they also want to get Snake Eyes to find out what Cobra's plan is because Storm Shadow's on Cobra's side. I get what you're saying, Jerry. This is tangential at best. But this is also the best part of the film. Yes, they threw out some lip service to connect all this ninja fighting and trying to get Storm Shadow and kidnap him. I wish they would have, again, developed that more. Like so much of the script, I wish they would have developed things better. But they give, I guess, kind of a reason to include all this stuff. It's the best part of the film. The fight on the mountain may be, but a lot of this, why they're there, why they're going, the Blind Master stuff. I mean, I think you could have made a separate movie in between <laughs> Rise of Cobra and Retaliation and really explore this fully. There's a lot of folklore between Snake Eyes and Storm Shadow that could have been a standalone movie. I, I think there's great stuff here, and you're totally right. I think they could have almost made it as an in-between movie and done it much better. Believe me, I said the last time 
the Snake Eye Storm Shadow stuff was my favorite part. I am all for them exploring that this time. Even though I didn't feel it fit in the last movie, it was still the best part because it's, hey, ninja fight. And here, yes, I love this mountain fight, but I tell you, this is another five to ten minutes of cut footage that would explain what the hell is going on. Yes, we have this wonderful mountain fight. It is tremendous. I have some questions about the logic of it because they just put Storm Shadow on a rope and push him, <laughs> whereas they have to do some aerobatic thing where they have to jump and just hit the right zip line to start going. They're splitting up the team. They all just went down the zip line with Storm Shadow. <laughs> They'd have a hundred ninjas coming after them. This way, some of the ninjas are going after Storm Shadow, some are going after Jinx, some after Snake Eyes. They're splitting up the team here. Watch more cartoons, damn it. Okay, I didn't get that. Maybe because Snake Eyes doesn't talk and say we're splitting up, but <laughs> I think there's more than an RZA monologue of help our Joes. I think that was probably added in post. There is so much ADR dialogue to explain what the hell is going on, where I feel it was probably explained actually in scenes with dialogue and interaction. I thought that was just done ADR with Blind Master because, again, it's a throwback to Kung Fu films from the 70s being dubbed into English. I do like this mountain fight, but it's at this point that I realize story is secondary. What I am watching is akin to a rock video where there's going to be a lot of action and no reason for it. They might as well have had a white horse run in. Well, they spent a little time with Jinx and Snake Eyes really setting up all these lines. And I think what's going on is that the line they threw... Storm Shadow on is completely separate from any of the lines that they and the ninjas follow them are on. And they have multiple lines, which is pretty smart, because if Snake Eyes and Jinx go down a line, well, why chase them? Just cut it, and they're done. But no, they're transferring from line to line, and then they've got to go find Storm Shadow. So it doesn't make a lot of sense. I would just think if you put a guy in a bag and throw him down a zip line, even if he doesn't fall off the line because he's not in control, he's going to smack into something and get killed. Put that aside. But probably the most brutal, you say a rock video, what you're actually seeing is a seven-minute silent interlude. You're seeing a comic book, a literal comic book, actually come into life. What they're doing is they're referencing G.I. Joe issue number 21, the silent interlude where Storm Shadow is revealed in the series for the first time, Snake Eyes is going after him to save Scarlet, and there's not a single word, line of dialogue in the entire comic. So you get your seven-minute silent interlude right here in this movie. I liked that there was no dialogue. I was getting that, and I was really going back. I'm a fan of some Bruce Lee films, Jacob. I was kind of getting that 70s vibe with the more modern special effects and kinetic energy. What killed this scene for me, or what would have made this scene absolutely stand out as one of the best mountainside battles I've ever seen, would be if they either had some pop songs or a more action-y score. The score for this film is in every way lackluster. You got Wu-Tang on the set, but you get Henry Jackman to do this really not at all memorable score. I don't know Henry Jackman. He did First Class. I kind of liked his stuff there, but I really felt the score hurt this scene when you had amazing acrobatics and amazing effects. It just would have been nice since we don't have any words to hang on to have some really impactful music. Yeah, here's the thing. I've been praising John Chu, excited that he is directing this. 
I'm not big into electronic or club music, but in Step Up, there's some great music when they're doing their dances, the heavy drum and bass. One of the things that got me excited about Retaliation was those first trailers where they had that like, like electronic version of Seven Nation Army by the White Stripes. It was just something cool about that. Like everything's distorted. And I get what you're saying. Like the music, the score doesn't have the energy that it should be bringing. The other thing that I was super excited. We finally get to see Storm Shadow and Snake Eyes face off here in the mountains before they throw Storm Shadow down a zipline, body bag him up and throw him down a zipline. This is what I was excited for. One of the things that I love about John Chu's direction in those Step Up films is that he lets these actors, these dancers perform. One of the things that drives me crazy in action films is when you get a fight scene and you get real quick cuts because these are actors. They don't really know the move, so they throw a punch and they cut to another angle and you see them do a kick because they can't just pull the camera back and let them demonstrate their stuff. So I'm excited because we got Ray Park, we got Storm Shadow. Sorry, I, I don't know the actor's name, but martial artists, like people that could stand there and you just do a long shot and watch them fight and I, they're in a tight, confined space, which John Chu does a lot with his dance moves, like put them in tight spaces and show them how they really jump around and move and use that small space to their advantage. It's fun seeing these ninjas fight, but I feel like he didn't bring that same energy that he did to his dance films. Like we don't see this great. <laughs> Why are you laughing? I'm serious. Like It's just it's a funny statement. He, if only they would had a dance off. <laughs> well, no, come on. There's not that much of a difference between martial arts and dance. No, you're right. You watch martial arts, especially those 70s kung fu films, they're like doing choreography. They're just not, you know, hands on their hips, dancing away. Martial arts is all about body movement, like dance. And I just wish he would have brought more of what he did in those step up films here for this fight scene where he just kind of let the camera pull back and show these martial artists, real life martial artists, fight. I do agree that the dance and fighting or very much similar in choreography. The scene where it's Snake Eyes versus Storm Shadow, I kind of liked. I liked that Storm Shadow brought out the throwing stars and Snake Eyes brought out an Uzi. But what I don't understand is how you can shoot an Uzi at a guy, you hit his ninja stars, but not a single bullet hits the guy right behind the ninja stars. I'm right with you there on Artie. I'm like, oh, apparently (laughs) when a bullet hits something, it just stops. It drops down. (laughs) And I, I thought it was going to be a reference to like the old Indiana Jones where the sword fighter makes his moves and then he pulls out a gun. I thought it was so cool that Snake Eyes pulled out a gun. He's like, I'm a ninja, but I'm going to use this Uzi. But no, he doesn't use the Uzi for what it should be used for, which is shoot Storm Shadow in the knees and then body bag him up. He does try to shoot Storm Shadow and he ends up running up the walls and doing some flip. They're ninjas. Bullets are useless. <laughs> you got to break out the blades. <laughs> but as much as I just kind of let down with this face-off that we finally get. I do love the zip scene. I love these little moments. You know, you get these red ninjas, whatever clan that you said they were in, Jerry. You know, they jump, and they're, I think they're using their nunchucks as zip lines, and, like, some of them, they fly right off the line. One's going down, and, like, he hits a cliff that's poking out and just gets stopped cold. There's these cartoony elements, but it makes it more entertaining because you don't know what's going to happen. Like, people are just falling off randomly. It's not like everyone's a perfect ninja that's going to come down. People are getting picked off as it goes. I had a lot of fun during the zip line scene when they're running, you know, on their Cords swinging back and forth, sword fighting. This is the stuff that I saw in the trailer that got me excited for this film. I think this is the best part of the film. Is it moving the story along much? No, it's an action scene in an action movie, and it's a great action scene. It's a good action scene that is stymied for technical reasons away from greatness. So much better than those robotic outfits. I mean, that was the best praise I could give that last (laughs) film is, oh, I liked it when they were in those robot outfits. Too bad they looked awful. But it's all just to get back for this 
really silly subplot. Jerry, last week you talked about how they had that line that they cut about the hard master who killed the hard master and all of that. If they had left that line in, I think that would have been set up for all this stuff we're getting about this hard master. Because in the movie we watch, if I hadn't talked to you, Jerry, about this hard master stuff, I would have been a little bit confused as to why they keep talking about the hard master and Storm Shout is going, I didn't do it. And it's so quickly proven he didn't do it because their blades don't break and what killed the hard master, even though they've had this sword in the ninja evidence locker for what, 20 years, <laughs> they never bothered to check to see if it's their quality of steel. Yeah, I mean, they may have an evidence locker, but not a forensics unit to uh, really <laughs> go into it and, you know, check the DNA on, make sure it's really Storm Shadows. CS Snake Eyes. <laughs> I thought about that because, you know, I, I postulated last week that maybe they took that line out because they wanted to set up something else in a sequel that maybe they didn't know they're going to get. Keeping that line in the movie last week would have made this any better or worse. I mean, either way, we end up to the same point that, hey, Storm Shadow is accused of doing this. And, you know, once he's back on the skyscraper in Tokyo, his first words are, hey, what hurt more is that none of you believe me. It's not like he and Snake Eyes were good friends. He was nothing but a douche to Snake Eyes his whole life. So it wasn't like a great betrayal. Like, my brother did not believe me. You were always a jerk. <laughs> I don't think their relationship was explored very well in these movies. I mean, you see him fight. You know, when it's just like, hey, we had a common master and you killed him. That's why I'm against you. That's one thing. But if you're going to lead us to believe that there's some relationship between you guys like a good bond that was done very poorly certainly not nearly as well as what you saw it in, in the marvel comics the whole concept of you see storm shadow running off as a little boy running away from it i mean they filmed that little flashback which we get again in this movie they filmed that flashback in a way that really convinced all of us that yeah it would have had to have been storm shadow that did it but this is very consistent. I mean, you know, Storm Shadow almost never <laughs> in multiple versions of G.I. Joe is never the one who kills Hardmaster. It is almost always Zartan in every form of G.I. Joe who's the guy who really killed the Hardmaster. It's an interesting twist, though I don't quite know why Zartan wanted a ninja henchman. Was he working for Cobra uh, at the time? Excuse me, Arnie. Who doesn't want a ninja henchman? <laughs> <laughs> Like, that is the dumbest question ever. If I gotta go kill a hard master to get, like, a ninja henchman, sign me up. <laughs> All right, you win that one. But Point Jacob. <laughs> But this is all just a way to conveniently make Storm Shadow a good guy, even though he says, I'm not with you, I'm just not against you. Well, what's his long-term plan? He's about to kill his boss's key player. It's not like he's going to have a home with Cobra when this is over. He'll be a Ronin. He'll wander the countryside, taking up jobs as they come along. He'll be a bounty hunter. Yeah, and he clearly can't join G.I. Joe like he did in the Marvel comics, by the way, or even actually in the second run of the animated series. He was a member of G.I. Joe for a portion of time, you know, because this whole concept of, hey, I just joined Cobra to see who killed the Hard Master, and I finally figured out it was Zartan, now I'm done. That was the premise of the Marvel comics. He joined Cobra because he knew Cobra 
was involved in killing the hard master and he wanted to see who did it you don't even get this here he's tricked into just i guess joining up again with cobra when cobra did cobra exist so yeah you got to put all this in your mind of like retcon in the first movie or give them a lot of credit for being much smarter and trying to convince us that cobra existed all along but yeah i, I thought it was a good line when flint said hey wait a minute we can't fight with this guy how many of our people did he kill he's just not going to get a pardon for all the things that he's done especially in the prison i mean we see him killing 10 12 u.s soldiers even though it's a prison in germany who knows the nationality but either way he kills a bunch of police he murders people you can't just say hey you helped us uh, foil cobra why don't you join gi joe because hey by the way we're recruiting there's only three of them so they better recruit <laughs> yeah because we only have three left so <laughs> well no they have a fourth they have general joe colton bruce willis who, again, I have to believe there's like a half an hour of cutscenes that explains why the president won't let him read and list, why his house is hooked up to where Charlton Heston's like, maybe I need to rethink my gun stance. <laughs> oh, come on. This, this has got to all just be jokes. I mean, he's got Patton's gun. Obviously, this is supposed to play for humor when you go through the fruit bowl and you got grenades in there. <laughs> yes, it's supposed to be funny, but... I swear to you, there had to have been an explanation for why this man was living in the suburbs. There had to have been some backstory. I think it was just humor. He's no longer in the army, and we're going to see this later this year, Arnie, when we do Red. And by the way, Red 2 does co-star Storm Shadow. So yeah, we'll see an ex-military guy in the suburbs with lots of guns. I mean, I think that's the funny thing. It's supposed to be the peaceful white picket fence, but here's this hardened military guy who's got more guns than the army underneath his house. But Joe Colton, I don't remember this guy. Is this a G.I. Joe? Yeah, General Joseph Colton is from G.I. Joe folklore. Just like Roadblock said, there's a reason why we call ourselves Joes. He was the original commissioned by President Kennedy himself to go form this up. It was sort of Hasbro's way of tying together the longtime G.I. Joe fans when he was an action soldier and a 12-inch figure to younger folks like myself who liked the three-and-three-quarter-inch real American hero. General Joseph Colton, and they made a 12-inch figure of him. They made a three-and-three-quarter-inch figure of him in like in 1994-ish as a mail-away sort of thing. It was sort of the way to bond them together. You know, when you join the G.I. Joe fan club, which I'm a proud member, or go to a G.I. Joe convention like Joe Con coming up next week that I'll be at, by the way, it's like registering yourself as a Democrat or Republican. Are you a 12-inch inch fan or you're a three and three quarter inch fan and general joseph colton is timeline the way that they get connected so general joseph colton is a absolute folklore play in this movie wow i really would have sworn they made him up for this movie i thought this was the ultimate retcon i cannot believe that this was a toy that they brought in it actually felt organic to the film wow now there was I don't know, half a dozen or so, whatever, Marvel comics from the early 90s that explored this character. And I now own two action figures of Joe Cold as I'm holding a Bruce Willis G.I. Joe retaliation action figure <laughs> right in my hand as we speak. <laughs> but I just have to think that there was more to Bruce Willis's role. I actually like the performance Bruce Willis is giving here. He's lighthearted. He's playful. It is the classic Bruce Willis but there's so little of it, and he is so functional in this edit that I can't believe this is what you signed Bruce Willis up for. There had to be more. Maybe there's a cutscene where he goes to Chernobyl, and then after a good day to die hard came out, they're like, whoa, hurry, get to the cutting room floor, get that out of here. <laughs> we saw how that film did. I know this was filmed before that Die Hard film that we reviewed earlier this year, but 
of course that was on my mind. Like, is this going to be the same era of Bruce? But no, I, I was relieved. He didn't seem so disconnected from the film here. He, I think you're playing, he is a Republican. He's all for gun rights. You know, he's playing that kind of character here. I, I think he's having fun. Bruce Willis brings some energy to the movie. I wish he was in it a little bit more. I mean, if you're going to use him to be the guy that basically rescues the president, I, I didn't like the way he was so reluctant. It's like, no, nah, I can't help you. Or you know, I thought a lot of that was just kind of silly. I think it could have just been, guys, what you're playing, you know, good soldiers are dead and I can't let that go. I'm with you. Let's go do something. The fact that he he kind of hands command to Roadblock. He says, all right, Roadblock, what's my play? What are my orders? I didn't really like that. I think there's too much of Dwayne Johnson's the big star, so suddenly he's the one in charge of everything, which is legitimately the case. I mean, you'd, if you're going to cast Dwayne Johnson as your star, I guess you have to put him in that position. But for me, that's not Roadblock's role. Roadblock is the guy you put in the front line with the big gun that no one else can lift, which Dwayne <laughs> Johnson does that too. So I thought with the trailers and everything that they were going to go after General Colton because they needed a new leader. They needed someone who could really get them through the situation. Yeah, I think this would have played better. You get some lip service way at the beginning of this film. Roadblocks turn down promotions. If Duke shoots down the cupcake, then Roadblocks going to have to take his next promotion. And once all the Joes died, now you're in charge. It's something they need to develop more to get this payoff at the end. Why would The Rock take over John McClane's role? You know, this is Bruce Willis. This is Joe Colton, the original Joe. Why wouldn't he be in charge? I think if they would have developed a lot of that stuff earlier on better, instead of a few dropped lines, you could have gone with it. There has to be more here, because also here we get this one weird out-of-place scene with Lady J talking about how her father didn't believe in women in the military, and she worked so hard so he would salute her, and you get Flint kind of looking at her like... I think Flint might have a thing for her, but they cut every scene. She was in her panties. <laughs> well, yeah. I would have been looking, too. Admittedly, she is hot. I don't know this actress from anything except that underground Wonder Woman pilot, that NBC show that didn't get picked up, Wonder Woman. She was Wonder Woman. Okay. And, yeah, she is indeed a wonderful woman, but it's the only quote-unquote character development we get, and it's given in such a ham-handed way as to almost be from a Zephram Abrams Zucker film, you know? It's just, my father would never salute me, and of course, at the end, Joe Colton's like, I served with your father, and he salutes her. But there had to be more to this. There had to be more to Colton. There had to be more to Flint. Flint is so a nothing character. He does nothing. He says nothing. I don't know why Flint is here. Yeah, my question is, you get this whole joke with Joe Colton calling Lady J Brenda. Am I missing an inside joke, Jerry? Like, what was going on? <laughs> is her real name Brenda? No, I mean, according to, like, the card backs and everything, it's like Allison Hart Burnett. So this was just supposed to be a joke about an old soldier not respecting a woman. I think he's just given her a generic lady's name. Like, you know, that was the name of his secretary when he was rising through the military. I don't know. That was the name of his cover girl. You're Brenda, because I said you're Brenda. Okay, so go get me a coffee. I, that sort of mentality. He's Bruce Willis. He doesn't need to know anyone's names. He doesn't yeah. need to read the script. He'll just make it up as he goes. Then again, she's the MacGyver who can build this really sophisticated database out of whatever scraps are, that have to be 20 years old in Roadblock's old gym. And apparently can go get me close to the present. I'll take his hair. I'll do a DNA run. I mean, how is she doing all this? This stuff really bothers me. 
I want her to edit our shows because she pays so much attention to kind of, sort of, um, you know, <laughs> that I cut out from everybody's speech all that little brain filler, she calls it. She has a great ear. I want her. I, there are people pay to be specialists in speech. That's how they would verify if these Bin Laden tapes were real or not when he was sending those out. Is he already dead and this was just a pre-record? I mean, this is real stuff for it to be all put into one person that could do computers and make a DNA tester and wear a red dress and Lacotte so she could get the hair from the president. You know, yes, <laughs> we only have three Joes. She's got the skills of like six or seven, though. I get the skills are military and these skills are real skills, but how you make a DNA analyzer with the resources they have, I have no idea. I mean, it is Qui-Gon sending the blood sample of Anakin to get the midichlorian count. I mean, that's for some reason the stupidest thing, I guess, that popped in my head, but it was just so forced and so contrived that it kind of bugged me. I mean, I didn't know how the hell else they had gotten themselves out of that hole, but the whole thing about soda and pop and putting the thumbs on the wrong thing. Personally, I don't think that's the kind of thing Zartan would have ever gotten wrong. I mean, we're told in the first movie of how much he's been studying his character. He wouldn't have messed those things up. So it's just so dumb. I agree that I kept thinking we saw Zartan study him. He would have gotten these things down. Otherwise, you could have nanomited anyone and they would have messed all this up. I was also, though, a bit disturbed right after the scene with the DNA, Roadblock's about to shoot the president. And I'm like, my God, is Secret Service this piss poor that Roadblock can be a block away and it takes Firefly to save the president? I mean, yes, we know the president's an imposter, uh, but a presidential assassination like this... I'm sorry, they closed down city blocks to keep you away from the president when he's somewhere. That's what took me out. This is Cobra Secret Service, though. They're blatantly walking around with Cobra lapel pin. Maybe they just don't have the <laughs> CIA and FBI training that the real Secret Service do. Then we find out the president's big plan, because it started with stealing nukes in Pakistan, and he goes on this anti-nuclear war crusade. And I'm like, why is Cobra slash Zartan anti-nuke. This is genius. Like, this is every right-wing talk show. This is this is why nuclear derman is bad. They just want us to get rid of our nukes, so then they can nuke us. Like, this is right-wing paranoid conspiracy stuff. To get rid of your nukes is actually a bad thing, because then people will use them against you, and you can't fight back. Although I have to say that the scene in which Zartan clearly goes out of character and says, oh, well, by the way, I am the leader of the free world, by the way, I'm just saying, and he arms them, and it's like, I'm at enemies with everybody, I'm going to do, and you, and you, and you, and you, <laughs> that, that was a lot of fun. How clever it was, I'm going to fire all my nukes, you're going to fire all your nukes, hey, I'm going to disarm my nukes, which, by the way, I don't know, does that work? Can you shoot every nuke you have and just disarm them in the sky, and do they just not interact in a nuclear way? I don't know if that works, it's still seems to me like you'd still destroy half the world by disarming them in flight. They're in space. You don't detonate them. You destroy the engines and they just fall. Okay, you don't start the reactions necessary. Okay, right. that's what I'm assuming. But I would still think when you blow them up, the materials involved there are still going to have some impact. Maybe not like just dropping a platinum rod onto a city. But I am so confused because we see the president and he's nuking everyone. And I love this cartoonish conceit. He's playing Angry Birds as he does it. <laughs> that was funny, oh, actually. <laughs> I did like that. But he's nuking everyone. The cartoonish conceit that that means every nuclear missile we have is launched and ready to go at literally the push of one button. We don't just nuke our enemy. Like, we're currently in a standoff with North Korea. If we decided to nuke North Korea, 
if we push this button, we also are nuking Russia and Pakistan <laughs> and the entire globe. And they all have briefcases that do the same thing. <laughs> they all brought them, too, by the way. They yes, all just happen to have them. I'm not going to compare this at all as far as the craft to Stanley Kubrick's Dr. Strangelove. But I do love something about the fact that you come to talk about getting rid of your nukes and everyone brings the suitcase to arm them and fire them. Like, there's some funny irony there. It's like the war room. There's no fighting in the war room. Again, this is not to the level of Kubrick's work, but there is some fun here. I mean, I love the way they just make fun and taunt North Korea because we could get away with making fun of North Korea. I saw that Red Dawn remake where they're the bad guys now. Like, yeah, we can bomb you twice. And I love the North Korean representative. He's like... Yo, what's up with that? This is not to be taken serious. Again, if you're worrying about the actual physics of nukes and suitcases that could fire them and disarm them, I think, again, go see Zero Dark Thirty or one of those films. This yeah. this is G.I. Joe. <laughs> yeah, I do think they were trying to be forward thinking, thinking that by the time this movie came out, not even with its year delay, North Korea would be nuclear. And fortunately, not yet. But it is a problem for me, though. When you have Zartan impersonating the president of the United States causing Armageddon, and I don't know why. And they keep mentioning Zeus that's been dropped a couple of times, but I guarantee that there had to be some motivation because at this point, we've seen ninjas battle on a mountain, and I don't know why. And we've seen Joe Colton living in the suburbs, and I don't know why. And now we see the president launching his nukes to destroy the Earth, and everybody, every single other nation decides, yeah, genocide's good, and they push their buttons. Not one of them doesn't do it. Again, this is going back to MAD, mutually assured destruction. That was the whole point of an arms race is that it would bring about peace because who would be crazy enough to fire your missiles because it is going to end a nuclear holocaust. This is going back to some of that Cold War era thinking and war strategy. And then he destroys the nukes, which is, I suppose, an ingenious bluff to disarm everyone's nuclear weapons. Again, assuming none of them kept even one on the ground. There wasn't one in production that wasn't ready to fire. Is that what he did, though? They didn't fire all their... I thought the whole point was to show that he's willing to fire, and now they have to take him seriously. I didn't think it was that they fired every single nuke. It was they fired every single nuke, is how I took it. Every nuke on the planet at one point was in the air. Yeah, I took that too, Arnie. I mean, even though I don't think it was very clear, but I took that too because otherwise they would have had a defense against Zeus. The whole point was, hey, no one has nukes now, so my Zeus weapon is the incentive to get all of you guys to hand over control of the planet. Well, here's the thing, though. Zeus was ready to fire and blow up all their countries. I figure if you've just fired your nukes, even if you got some in the storeroom, you got to bring them out, reload them into the silos. <laughs> like, Cobra <laughs> says, you have three minutes to declare allegiance to me before I blow up all your countries with Zeus. That's a fine point. So either way, he's got them in a corner. Zeus. We talked about BET. I know there is weather dominators. Zeus. This thing is just going to drop giant rods and gravity is going to pull it to blow up these countries. Again, there's something wonderfully cartoonish about this device. Was there ever a Zeus acronym in, in G.I. Joe or are they just going off of that model of these weird acronyms and these funny little devices that they'd use? There are a few uses of the word Zeus in G.I. Joe. Honestly, I don't know them well enough to say what they are in each instance, but I mean, Sigma 6, I think, had something. I don't know. I never followed that. So it's a good of a name as any because that's Zeus. <laughs> I do like that it's lightning falling from the sky, like Zeus would throw the lightning bolt to the earth. 
I gotta say, though, they say that it won't cause radiation, but isn't this how the dinosaurs died? Like, a meteor hit the Earth and it threw all the dirt into the sky and caused an ice age, I guess? But it's not that level of destruction. It is just destroying London. And that is such a lackluster destruction of London scene, too. They don't even call out it's London. If it wasn't for Big Ben and the Ferris wheel, it could have been any city. Yeah, I mean... Uh, the amount of destruction they create in this movie far exceeds what they did in the last movie with the Eiffel Tower. And it's just sort of like, a, oh, crap, they just destroyed London. Just millions of people have died at this yeah. point. Yeah, had to have. And they don't call it out. I think the way that scene is played, it's a wonderful thing to do in a movie to just completely obliterate London. Not that I want our UK listeners dead. I no, 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 clear. no. I'm just saying, be it London, be it Seattle, be it Washington, D.C., to take out an entire city ups the stakes and shows danger, but not in the way it's handled here. Yeah, I mean, what would normally happen in a G.I. Joe cartoon is that Cobra would have dropped that on, like, a unpopulated, desolate area that no one cares about to show that, oh, wow, this can really do this amount of damage. But we're not going to act like, tragically, millions of people just died like no one else does here. It's almost like when they filmed the scene, the actors on screen didn't know that it was supposed to have destroyed London. <laughs> yeah, well, the British Prime Minister should have been a bit more upset. There should have been a little more focus on him. What I do like, though, is at this point, they're bringing out this stupid satellite thing. I'm not liking Zeus, but I love that when Cobra reveals themselves, this is the moment in the trailer that got you and I excited, Jacob. They unfurl Cobra flags at the yes. White House. His tanks show up. Real his tanks right out of the cartoon. Yeah, the boat. I don't know what that boat was called, but the big blades in the back, the big fans, like... All the vehicles here, they're straight the retro toys. We always talk about a film being toyetic, and it's got to create new toys to sell to kids. Here, they do the opposite. It's retro. Like, they go back to the original designs, the planes, the helicopter that we'll see Cobra Commander get into later on. Like, all this is just straight from the 80s toy line. The G.I. Joe aesthetics of this movie are dead on. Snake Eyes looks so much better than he did in the last movie, even though I wasn't completely offended by it here. They got it right. Totally right. That is... 100% what a snake eye should look like. No complaints there. They do a great job with that. Even Cobra Commander, he's got the fangs on his helmet when we get that oh. POV shot. Yes, I love that POV shot. You just have these fangs hanging in the screen. Beautiful. My biggest complaint, though, about Cobra Commander here, he looks awesome. I love the aesthetic, all the leather trench coats and that. He doesn't do much, though. Like, okay, we just saw the rise of Cobra. Now how about Cobra Strikes? Well, he kind of does, but he doesn't do much in this film. He postures most of the time. That was a big letdown for me. Yeah, and his whole plan gets completely obliterated very quickly because in a dual strike, G.I. Joe rescues the president and infiltrates this weird summit. And immediately Cobra's like, ah, well, I almost had it. Maybe next time. And flees. <laughs> yeah, he just takes off. Like, they don't pursue him. It's really weird. The big final battle is between Roadblock and Firefly. He's very nonchalant the way he just walks off. Cobra Commander is a tough character because he's not a jump in the battle front lines, fire the guns, and really, I mean, he, he's not going to go one-on-one -on -one with Snake Eyes. That's not who he is. So he's tough to treat on screen. He is the I'll get you next time gadget, next time sort of character, the way he just took off and they couldn't get him. That's, I mean, A, it sets up a sequel. Cobra's still out there. And he doesn't have to, like, fight anybody to where you have to try to decide, okay, well, who could he take? This end fight just, again, because I think they cut the dialogue and they cut these things down so much, I'm not even sure 
where the president is. I'm not sure where the summit is. I don't know exactly which Joes are in which location. I don't know why Cobra's like, all right, I'll just destroy all these eight major cities. I don't know why when Roadblock gets the briefcase and pushes the disarm button, these satellites are so fragile. Oh, if we're disarmed, we're going to blow up. Yeah, I I think there's a (laughs) self-destruct button. They never call that out, though. It's the all knowing red button that will save the day. Everyone kind of disappears except Storm Shadow and Roadblock at the end here. Like, yeah, Flynn, I don't know what he's doing. Lady J and Colton are off doing something. I I forget about Jinx and Snake Eyes. I don't even know what they were doing during this climax. It's weird because Joe Colton, he's like, oh, I'm going to get some of my old army buddies and they're going to help too. And I thought maybe they could work in some of the funnier names for some of the G.I. Joe characters that we will never see on the screen. I guarantee we'll never get a snow job on the screen. Like, I thought maybe... (laughs) You could have some fun with some of these goofier names, but no, we see them. They take out like a hiss tank at the beginning and that's it. They kind of just go away. I was hoping one of those guys would have been very obviously Sergeant Slaughter because IMDB listed Robert Remus in this movie as Sergeant Slaughter. And I wonder if there's a scene, there was one clip of one of those guys doing something and I couldn't see him well enough fast enough to see if it's like, wait, was that Sergeant Slaughter? Was that? I I was kind of hoping they would do something like that because he is listed at IMDB as being in this film. Yeah, this whole climax, it's very fast, very quick. Lots of bullets flying. You're right, Arnie. It's not very clear. I wasn't even sure where Bruce Willis and Lady J were until I saw the president. I'm like, oh, yeah, they were going to get the president. Yeah. For three people, there's a lot of different strikes going on in this ending. That was Roadblock's specific order to Colton was to extract the president. I mean, so that was a very fast line when they're all around the table. So it was easy to miss. I didn't catch it clearly myself until the second time I saw it. Yeah, there's just so much going on. So little reason behind it. I like the Firefly Roadblock fight. I like how it ends. There's these little explosive fireflies and Firefly is holding one and he goes to set it out to blow up Roadblock. But Roadblock during the fight took the detonator and just blows the dude to hell. There will not be any Firefly if there's a sequel. Like, straight blows him up. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, no, he's he's out of the band. But you know, the one thing that the climax was missing, especially when Bruce Willis was giving them the awards and everything, I was so hoping that, hey, we got a call from Pakistan. It's Duke. He's going to be okay. <laughs> he's in a coma. He's in a coma, but he's going to be okay. <laughs> then he could have brought him back up in the third movie. No, they're going to have to stick the matrix of leadership or whatever that was in his chest to bring him back if they ever want a Duke. <laughs> And then it just kind of ends. Cobra Commander makes it away, and there's a medal ceremony, and that's it. It's over. Joe's are reestablished. Roadblock's, I don't know what rank he is, because apparently Lady J's now a captain, so I don't know what rank Roadblock got to be the leader of the Joes. Maybe he's still a captain, and we know G.I. Joes don't follow necessarily rank order. It's like, who's the one that's right to lead this particular... There's only three of them. Well, yeah. <laughs> Well, five, if you count Snake Eyes and Jinx, there is a team of five, and... That's right. I do find it odd, as much as I'm trying to just understand cartoon logic as I watch this film. Like, that's the level this film speaks to. Like, America, fake president or not, almost caused nuclear holocaust, blew up all of London. I understand that it was a fake president, but... Doesn't America need to be held somewhat accountable for, like, letting this kind of security breach? Like, I find it funny. At one point, I think it was the French ambassador tells Sartan president, you will answer to your Congress for this, for a nuclear strike. (laughs) Yeah, the world politics here, I don't even know if they work on cartoon logic. No, this movie doesn't operate on cartoon logic. This movie doesn't operate on any logic. 
It just is a lot of noise, a lot of explosions, and not a lot of reasons why. But is that enough? Jerry, Jacob, do you recommend G.I. Joe Retaliation? Jerry. I don't know where this is going to leave me with some Joe fan street cred, but I, I, I enjoyed the last movie more than this. I thought Rise of Cobra had a little bit more fun. I got the G.I. Joe vibe off of it a little bit more, whereas I think this was just generic action movie with plot to take over the White House, XYZ, which apparently is a big theme this summer. As Channing Tatum's either going to have a someone take it over the White House movie, we just had Olympus Has Fallen. I mean, there's a lot of this theme going on. I am going to mildly recommend this movie. I after my first viewing in 3D, by the way, I, I happened to see the Tuesday night advanced showings. 3D was the only option. I otherwise had no interest in seeing it in 3D, and the, my second viewing was in 2D. I thought it was just as good. But I really walked out of that showing Tuesday very uncertain of whether I liked it or not. I saw it again you know, before we talked here. I warmed up to it a little bit. But overall... Not the movie I was really hoping to see. The trailers painted a much more awesome movie than what this actually is. And, and Arnie, you're right. There's logic flaws out the yin-yang. There is great action, very competently made. There's not a single moment in here where I'm like, oh, that CGI is all wrong or that special effects was terrible. No, I, I think everything was shot very well. The story, though, is just here and there. And if we get 40 more minutes of this movie or 20 more minutes, whatever, on a Blu-ray that fills in the gaps, so be it. But overall, this movie's okay, but I, I don't think it's quite the movie Rise of Cobra was. Now, for some people, that might be an instant, well, heck no, I'm not going to go see it then. No, I would give it a mild recommend. I think it's a good action movie, but nothing more. Jacob. I saw this in 3D as well. I don't know if the nine-month wait was worth it. I did see it in IMAX, and some of these scenes were pretty spectacular on that giant screen. But at the end of this film, during these ending credits, they got this song, How Do You Like Me Now, like, going on. I do like this better than The Rise of Cobra. I like this a lot more. I don't think this is a fantastic, completely logical, tightly written film. I don't know if you could do that with G.I. Joe, but I think they do hear what can be done with G.I. Joe. You got amusing one-liners. You got ninjas fighting. You got the action scenes. I think there are diminishing returns in this film. The longer it goes, the action seems to go down. It's much more entertaining at the beginning. By the time you get to the end, it's like, okay, we got to start wrapping this up. There's obviously 30 or 40 minutes left on the cutting room floor here. You know, Arnie, you say there's no logic. I think there is cartoon logic. They drop enough one-liners to pay lip service. Again, not well-written, not the tight kind of storytelling that would be done in a serious film with gravity about world nuclear holocaust. But for a G.I. Joe film, I'm going to say, you know, I know Clue, that was actually owned by Parker's brother when that movie came out. It's now owned by Hasbro. So I guess this is the best Hasbro film. They do what I would expect in a Hasbro film. Battleship, why are you introducing aliens into it? Transformers, why are you complicating the looks? There's a simplicity here that I enjoy. It's not just because I like simple stories, I'm not saying that, but I like how this plays up to the strengths of G.I. Joe. You have these cartoonish characters that all have their different specialties. You have ninjas, you have a guy that could carry big guns and shoot them. You have a dude named after a snake with fangs on his mask. I like all those elements. The action is there. It's entertaining for the most part. There is enough story 
to keep me involved. I was smiling throughout this film. This isn't an Oscar winner. I'm not claiming that. But this is a fun film. And yeah, I can recommend it. I hear what you're saying, Jacob. I found the action scenes in this movie to be fun. And I thought they were well staged. And I agree with both of you. The 3D in this was terrible. At Many times it didn't even feel like 3D at all. It is the worst of post-conversion 3D. Post-conversion 3D is never as good as real 3D. In the opening trailers, I saw trailers for real 3D films like The Great Gatsby, which looks phenomenal in 3D. And then I watched this movie, and the whole time, many times I just take my glasses off and say, is this in 3D at all? Oh, it's slightly blurry, and put the glasses back on. I did the same. (laughs) But I cannot get excited by action no matter how well done it is, if I don't give a damn about the characters. And I am never allowed to know these characters. We get a few scenes of Roadblock playing with Duke in the opening of the film, and that is this film's equivalent of character development. On the good side, on the bad side, I don't know why anyone is doing what they're doing. I don't get to know anybody in this movie. And that's a real problem. I'm watching the spectacular ninja fight on the side of a mountain And I don't care, because I don't really know, except for my own stringing together reasons, why they're fighting on the mountain, and what this has to do with the overall plot. This movie took me out completely. I just couldn't get excited, even during well-made action scenes. At the end, where Joe Coulson's in the back of a car, spinning around shooting. It looks great. It was better than anything we saw in Die Hard. But I didn't care for the characters. And I'll tell you... I had a salty lunch the day I went to see this movie. I got a point, so stay with me here. (laughs) So I was really, really thirsty. So I went and I never get a large soda, but I got a large Coke at the movie. And I'm chugging this Coke throughout the movie because I'm so thirsty. And about 20 minutes from the end, I realized, now that was a problem. Now I have to use the restroom. And I realized something. If I leave this theater, I'm not coming back. I am not going to finish this movie. If this was not a now playing review, I'd have gotten up, pissed, and gone home. Because this movie, I just cared so little about it. It's not a bad movie, but there was nothing in this movie to make me engage. The characters were as flat as the 3D effects. Instead, because it's now playing, I held it and finished the movie. And how do I like you now? No, I don't like you at all. It's a not recommend. I agree with you, Jerry. The last movie was technically better. It had different flaws, but in the end... Because you got to know some of those characters, it had a sense of fun that this one lacked. It's a soft not recommend because I really feel 100% of the problems of this movie occurred in post-production in editing. And if they release an extended edition of this where Joe Colton has some more scenes where we get to know him and Flint has some scenes where we get to know him and Cobra has some scenes where we find out the plot ahead of time... Every problem in this movie could be fixed with scenes that I believe were scripted and filmed, but cut. Scenes that you see some of while these end credits are rolling. Because there are scenes in those end credits that are never in this movie. An extended version of this on DVD could be a better movie than Rise of Cobra. It wouldn't have to work too hard to do that. But the film, in its theatrical format, is a not recommend. It's not even close to recommendable to me. Despite how good the action is, I don't go to movies just to watch explosions. I could watch clips of that. I could just watch MTV Movie Awards for Best Action Scene, watch the five nominated action scenes, and call that a movie. (laughs) I need more, and this movie had none. 
So G.I. Joe Retaliation, no, more like G.I. Joe Revulsion, not recommend. And that's a damn shame, because that means G.I. Joe The Rise of Cobra is the best Hasbro movie, in my opinion. Your opinion is wrong, but you have a right to your opinion. (laughs) Yeah, and Arnie, I mean, I'm giving it the mildest of recommends. I mean, I'm going to JoeCon in a week, and I'm going to load myself up on a lot of reading Marvel comics, going through some old toys, doing something to say that, hey, I'm going to JoeCon because of my love for everything else G.I. Joe, not because of the high of this movie, you know, released a week before JoeCon starts. There's a big event at JoeCon where you can all go together and see a specific viewing of Retaliation at a theater that I guess is going to be fairly close to the convention center. I don't want to go to Joe Con and then have to sit through this again. This isn't the reason why I'm a G.I. Joe fan. I think it's a well-made movie, so I'm giving it the mildest of recommends. But I'm with you. I've watched Rise of Cobra now. At, at this moment, I've seen it like another time or two since we recorded. I still love that movie. I get excited every time I see that movie. I think it's a fun movie. This one, I'm like, okay, I've seen it twice. I wouldn't have seen it twice, except that I wanted to, to really get into it so that we can, when we talk about it, I'm a little bit more familiar with the scenes. But I wouldn't have seen this movie twice otherwise. I would have waited to the video and been done with it. I saw you post on Facebook that you were seeing it again, and I felt like posting, why? (laughs) I feel bad, because some listeners have posted on Facebook and tweeted, seeing G.I. Joe so I could listen to the Now Playing Review. I felt like doing a public service announcement to not see this movie. I feel (laughs) so bad for anyone who our review made to go see this movie in theaters. I not only want my $14 back, I want that two hours of my life back. I'll be interested to see our fans' reaction on Facebook and in the forums. There is a lot of division between this film, and we've heard that here. Jerry, the fan, barely recommends it. I feel confident my recommend as a casual fan. Arnie, you don't like it at all. You know, this film has been polarizing in the other critical reviews it's been getting, and some praise it for its action, some just slam it because it is G.I. Joe. I- I'm interested to hear what our fans have to say. What did you guys think? Let us know in the forums and on Facebook. Yes, come to the forums at nowplayingpodcast.com. Please post. And while you're at nowplayingpodcast.com, hey, there's a little banner at the top with a couple big red zombie eyes staring at you. And it is advertising our spring donation series. All the details are up. We are doing a zombie marathon as our spring donation drive. Evil Dead, 28 Days Later, Return of the Living Dead. For a $10 donation, you hear our reviews of the Evil Dead films. The remake is opening nationwide this Friday. I know a lot of people have seen advanced screenings. We're reviewing all four Evil Dead films. And then this summer, also doing World War Z, the biggest zombie movie of all time. And if you donate $25 or more, you also get extra bonus thank you reviews. The Return of the Living Dead series, there's five movies in there from the... 80s original all the way to rave from the grave as well as 28 days and 28 weeks later now our spring and fall donation drives these are what allow us to stay on the air we are not selling podcasts now playing has been and always will be free week after week after week plus so many bonus shows we did we doubled up all of the second half of last year getting in all those james bond shows and so many other shows we've done twice a week for free but we need financial support to stay doing this to keep increasing our bandwidth and our forum capacity all of that and these zombie shows are our way of saying thank you to those who dig deep and donate to us if you don't like zombies just keep in mind even if you don't want to listen to those shows it's financial support from listeners that keep us on the air and we thank those listeners for the support 
and we just do some extra bonus podcasts as our way of saying thank you. These podcasts will only be available for a limited time. You can find all the details at nowplayingpodcast.com and the first podcast, The Evil Dead, scheduled to come out this Friday. It's actually going out to people as they donate, but then they just have a longer wait for Evil Dead 2 next Friday. And also, if you enjoyed this show, please leave us a five-star review on iTunes. It's word of mouth that allows our show to continue to grow, and a five-star review on iTunes really matters so much, especially if you leave a written review instead of just the stars. So, Jacob, Jerry, thank you for joining me. Jerry, I imagine the next time you'll be back with us will be next year for Transformers 4. (laughs) That's right. So much excitement in your voice. And I think Rise of Cobra will still be the best Hasbro film. (laughs) Well, I guess we'll see. But yes, I'm looking forward to that. And I will, you know, just want to reiterate, if anybody's going to JoeCon and try to find me, I will actually, there on Saturday, I'll be wearing a Now Playing t-shirt, just as a way to maybe identify myself. I started to say, hey, I'll be the one there in a Snake Eyes t-shirt, but I guess that's not really going to work very well. So I'm going to be wearing a Now Playing t-shirt. So if you happen to see me, you're at JoeCon. I hope you say hi. And Jacob, you, I, and Stuart go from Joe in Marvel Comics to Superman in DC Comics as we finally start what I know a lot of people have been anticipating, our huge Superman retrospective series, starting as we usually do in obscurity (laughs) with Superman and the Mole Men. Look, it's only 58 minutes of your life. Track it down, watch it, and then listen to us. You probably already own it. It comes with the Superman Blu-ray set. As a bonus feature. It's an extra. It's like a deleted scene. (laughs) So we will start that next week. And now you know, and knowing is half the battle. Yo, Joe! Technically, G.I. Joe does not exist, but if it did, it'd be comprised of the top men and women from the best military units in the world, the Alpha Dogs. When all else fails, we don't. Thank you for listening to this episode of Now Playing, and we hope you've enjoyed the show. It's time to go bye-bye or boom-boom! Come to NowPlayingPodcast.com each week as we review another G.I. Joe film. Now that's what I call a challenge! You can hear more movie reviews at our website, nowplayingpodcast.com. Well, whoever you are and whatever this unit is, I want in. In the archive section, you can find our reviews of the Transformer films, Star Trek movies, the Avenger films, Rambo, Rocky, and more. And all at the push of a button. Find hundreds of movie review podcasts at nowplayingpodcast.com. To this I command! While at NowPlayingPodcast.com, be sure to join our forums, where you can discuss this review with other listeners. Okay, now that we're all close friends, let's head for the slaughterhouse! You can also follow Now Playing at Facebook and Twitter, where the hosts post new episode announcements and written movie reviews. We all go home or nobody goes home! The links to our social media pages can be found at NowPlayingPodcast.com. You will all come with me now. Support from listeners like you help keep Now Playing operating. So what you'll see, snakes don't give for free. You can find a link to donate using PayPal at the bottom of our website, nowplayingpodcast.com. The Emperor needs us, Commander. You can also show your love of Now Playing Podcast by shopping in our store, where you can buy panties, coffee mugs, t-shirts, totes, boxers, teddy bears, and much more. An itty bitty ditty bag. 
You can also help out Now Playing by leaving us a five-star review on iTunes. A link to Now Playing's iTunes listing can be found at nowplayingpodcast.com. Can you get the word out? No sweat. Then do it. Now Playing's G.I. Joe retrospective series is edited by Ray, Jeff, and Arnie. Their capabilities are beyond anything we've ever encountered. Credit narration by Brock. Bravo, bravo! You are as impressive as ever! Now Playing is not affiliated with Hasbro or Paramount Pictures. G.I. Joe is a property of Hasbro and Paramount Pictures, and no infringement is intended. We are set up right from the start. The opinions expressed in Now Playing are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinion of Venganza Media Incorporated. But I'm not telling you anything you don't already know, am I? Now Playing is a Venganza Media production, copyright 2013, all rights reserved, and no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Venganza Media Incorporated. I have something I need to do which goes against all orders. So if any of you decide that you have to leave now, I will certainly not hold it against you. Hey guys, this is Jerry and Arnie. Today, I'm not against you. Shoot, I screwed that up. So, being a John Chu fan, did you see Justin Bieber never say never? Nope, my my John Chu uh, depth goes to the two Step Up films he did and uh, his web series, The League of Extraordinary Dancers. I have not ventured on to never say never Justin Bieber's live action concert, live concert film. (laughs) Grab my ankle! Writers, you know, maybe how would they translate humor over to a GI Jill? To a GI Jill. (laughs) (laughs) Grab my ankle! Channing Tatum had become a huge star. He had like Mike and a number of other films. Magic Mike. (laughs) Not like Mike. That's a Michael Jordan basketball film. (laughs) Grab my ankle! Meanwhile, Snake Eyes partners with new ninja Jinx. We know Jinx. To cap- Grab my ankles! <laughs> <laughs> Grab my ankles! Heavy Duty and Call Girl and all those other ones, but... Cover Girl. Oh, Call Girl. <laughs> well, she was already killed in the first movie, so they're not going to contact her. Grab my ankles! But he's the quicker blower-upper, baby. <laughs> I Which, hey, how often do I get a movie with a bounty paper towel reference? Come on, that's awesome. <laughs> Grab my ankle! And I'm really loving him. You know who he's reminding me of is that actor who was on 30 Rock. He's in those insurance commercials who plays, like, the disaster that's plaguing you. French Stewart? Oh, God, who, no. That's not French Stewart. Or, uh, John Lithgow or... No, um, So it's not one of the main people. Not oh, 30 Third Rock. Rock. 30 I, I, Rock. 30 Rock. Oh, 30 Rock. <laughs> Very um, different. 